Hello, and thank you for listening to Roots and Wings, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth. I'm Jonquil Newland, the director of Kids Central TN. This is our first podcast recording in the new year. So to our listeners, Happy New Year. I hope you and your families have been able to navigate these trying times the best way you can. Aside from political unrest, we're still dealing with a global pandemic that has not shown any signs of slowing just yet. More than 8,000 Tennesseans have died from complications of COVID-19, and there are currently more than 650,000 active cases across the state. Health experts across the globe all agree. The only way to slow the pandemic and hopefully one day end it is to get vaccinated. Now that process is going to take some time here in Tennessee, but it is underway. To help us navigate what this means for Tennessee families, I'd like to introduce the medical director of the Vaccine Preventable Diseases and Immunization Program with the Tennessee Department of Health, Dr. Michelle Fiscus. Dr. Fiscus, thank you so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings. Thanks for having me, John Cole. The pleasure is certainly all mine, Dr. Fiscus. Now, it's been several weeks since the COVID-19 vaccines began to be distributed to those on the front lines of this pandemic here in Tennessee. Uh, What are your thoughts on how Things are going so far? Well, we're generally pretty pleased with how things are going. Uh, we've been uh, ranked as one of the uh, higher states in the country as far as getting vaccines into arms. Uh, we are definitely leading the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, and uh, as of last night, we have 63,000 people who are fully immunized at this point, which is really exciting. Um, we have almost 400,000 doses administered in, in just the last three or four weeks since we've been doing this. So, um, so we feel like we're off to a really Really good start in Tennessee and, and really looking forward to uh, getting people immunized so that we can um, move back towards uh, being with loved ones and, and hugging and visiting again. Once the vaccine does become available to the general public, who should seriously consider getting vaccinated and should parents get their children vaccinated as well? And we would really encourage anyone who can get the vaccine to get the vaccine. And there really aren't a lot of reasons not to get it. Um, the, the main reason is if you have a known allergy to something that's in one of these vaccines, then, then you shouldn't get one. But um, it's important to understand that there will be several different COVID-19 vaccines that become available over the course of the year, most likely. And just because you have an allergy to one, you may not have an allergy to um, to one of the others. Um, th- as far as children goes, so right now, you know, the data is pretty limited about children and COVID-19 vaccines. One of the vaccine companies, Pfizer, has had testing down to age 12. And so we can currently vaccinate down to 16 with the Pfizer vaccine and down to 18 with the Moderna vaccine. Those are the only two that are available right now. When we do get good data on children and we know that the vaccines are safe to use in children, then we would certainly um, recommend that, that parents go ahead and get their children vaccinated and protected. What does that timeline look like and where can Tennesseans go to keep tabs on the vaccine? Because I must say uh, it, it is a bit overwhelming if you do just a simple search on Google. Oh, it can be really overwhelming. And, you know, and every state's doing it differently. So you could be talking to someone who lives in Arkansas uh, and their plan could look completely different than what we're doing in Tennessee. So the best place to go for information is online at covid19.tn.com. 
like tennessee.gov, covid19.tn.gov. And there you can find um, what phase your county might be in. There's a a phase finder application there where you can put in your own information and and be um, told which phase you belong in. And then you can even put in an email address and you'll get notified when your county goes into that phase. So um, there's a lot of information on that site. Uh, It does update all the time. So I mean, some updates happen every single day. So it's important to go there and also um, to, to go back frequently. The other place you can look is to your local health department. Um, they, uh, depending on where you live, they may have their own website or your county government may have a section of their website that's dedicated to your county health department that may also have information about how to get a vaccine and, and where they are in their phases. You have undoubtedly been overwhelmed in this information and data for weeks and months now. Is there any new data, Dr. Fiscus, that's been made available to you that since the vaccines have begun to be distributed, that really gives you hope? Oh, yeah, there's so much hope. <laughs> we're we're so excited about these vaccines. You know, first and foremost, these two vaccines that are out right now are 90, 95% effective at preventing COVID-19, which means if you um, are vaccinated and, and you are exposed to, um, to the virus that causes COVID-19, there's a, only a 5% chance that you're going to end up actually getting sick, which is pretty astounding. And as vaccines go, that, that efficacy is really excellent. Um, there is some new data coming out that does show that, um, that the vaccines may also prevent becoming infected with the virus. So what we knew initially was that if you get the vaccine, you're you're very unlikely to get COVID-19. What we weren't sure about was whether or not you could actually still get infected and pass that infection to somebody else. It's just not making you sick. Um, so some of the new data is suggesting that, that yes, um, these vaccines uh, look like they're actually stopping infection altogether, which is wonderful. Um, we've also gotten a lot of safety data. So we have uh, over 10 million individuals, I think, that have been vaccinated in the United States now. Plus, um, uh, Great Britain is ahead of us uh, by a couple of weeks. And so that those millions of people are um, giving us data around the safety of these vaccines. And so if there was sort of a one in a million kind of problem that, that was to show up when we started using these vaccines um, with the general public, then um, we would start to get signals about that. What we're seeing is, yes, it's possible to have an allergic reaction. Um, allergic reactions can be managed. And, um, you know, it's important that if you have a significant history of allergies, like you have to carry an EpiPen because of your allergies, that when you get a vaccine, um, you hang around for 30 minutes just to make sure you don't have that kind of allergic reaction. Um, but o- overall, the, the safety of these vaccines looks really, really good. And even anaphylaxis or, or really serious um, allergic reactions are only happening about 11 times in a million doses. So it's still pretty rare um, even to have a, a serious, a more serious side effect like that. You bring up a really good point, Dr. Fiscus, in that this is going on in other places uh, across the globe. Other countries are ahead of us in this, and we are able to take that data as we're continuing to gather our own. It's truly, um, we have to remember that we are not alone in this. We're, we're just not alone in this. That's right. And, and um, you know, the, the other thing to remember is that the people who volunteered to be in these trials, and there's tens of thousands of these individuals, individuals, 
they were vaccinated six, seven, eight months ago. And so we have, you know, by the time you get the vaccine, there might be data on these tens of thousands of people who were vaccinated a year ago. And so, um, you know, we'll know a lot more about um, how long the immunity is going to last and if there are any other, um, you know, concerns that we need to have about specific populations or, or people who um, have certain conditions and, and the vaccine. But overall, what we're seeing is is really, really positive. And, and we have a, a ton of hope um, about the impact that these vaccines can have. Thank you so much for speaking to that. Understandably, however, when we talk about back here in the United States, some folks may be very hesitant to get vaccinated. Can you explain why it's so important? Yeah, sure. So, you know, first, I think it's important to to acknowledge why there's vaccine hesitancy. And, you know, in some cases, that is because of the um, the harms that have been done to certain populations, specifically the African-American population in America. Um, and and mistrust of um, of a government and of a medical community that has mistreated that population historically, and so it's it's really important to acknowledge that you know yes that happened. Um, speaking specifically of of instance like Tuskegee and and others. Um, Mm-hmm. And how do we move forward from that? Because you know what we see is that the African American and Hispanic populations, especially, are really severely and disproportionately impacted by COVID nineteen. They're dying more, they're infected more, um, and and it's really important that we be able to get these populations protected with the with the vaccine. So um, some of that comes with relationship building and and getting the right people to talk about those messages and and to make sure that we're building the trust that needs to be built back. Um, you know, you can, you can lose trust in a second. It takes a really long time mm-hmm. to build it back again. And, you know, as we've seen decades to build it back again. Um, there are others who are hesitant because they're worried about, you know, oh, the vaccines were developed too quickly or, or we don't know enough about them. And, um, and, you know, I think we can put a lot of those types of fears to rest. Um, you know, we have spent decades um, looking at coronavirus and developing um, vaccines against coronavirus. And the the mRNA technology that's being used in these first two vaccines, while yes, it's new to um, being used in humans, is decades in the making technology. So it's not something that they just uh, developed over the last nine months or so. And um, and if I could talk for a second about you know what these vaccines actually do, Absolutely. is um, you know we don't we don't give the virus to people we don't give uh, a weakened strain of the virus to people in these vaccines. What what happens is that they were able to um, figure out the the recipe for the spike protein that's on the surface of the virus. And so I think everybody's seen those pictures where, where it's got those little spiky things all over mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. so they were able to take that protein and figure out the recipe for it. And so what the vaccines do is give us the recipe to make that protein. And and it's really brilliant technology. So in the shot, they they give the recipe. It goes into the, the uh, muscle cells in the arm where it's injected. And it tells those muscle cells for a very short period of time to make this protein, to decode this recipe and make the protein. And then that recipe disintegrates and goes away and the cells stop making the protein. But it makes just enough for the body to see it and say, 
hey, that does not belong in a human person. And so it makes antibodies to that protein to go and destroy it because it sees it as foreign. And what that does then is build the immunity to that spike protein. And so now the next time we see that protein, which is probably going to be on the surface of the virus that's trying to infect us, the body has already seen that protein, already has those antibodies there, and it very quickly goes and attacks that antibody or attacks that protein and destroys the virus before it has a chance to make copies of itself and, and really get us infected. So these vaccines cannot infect you with the coronavirus. They cannot give you COVID-19. They, um, they cannot make you sick in the way that we think about COVID-19. What they can do is cause what a lot of vaccines do, which is to get a little redness or swellness or, or um, discomfort at the injection site. Um, and in some cases to maybe have some body aches or chills or low-grade fever for a couple of days. And what that means is that the body is actually doing what it's supposed to do because that inflammatory process of making those antibodies causes those kinds of symptoms. And so it's not a bad thing if you end up with some site tenderness and some low-grade fever for a day or two after you get the shot. That's a good thing because it means that you're reacting the way you're supposed to and, and you're building that protection against the virus. When you understand the science and why scientists, you know, like myself and and developers are so excited about this, um, and you know the the really low risk compared to um, getting infected with this coronavirus, it's um, you know it's just it's really important for people to understand that messaging. Thank you for sharing that information with us, Dr. Fiscus. Uh, you you mentioned a bit earlier in regards to some of the. Um, side effects. And currently there are only two vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. Um, What have you learned about the side effects uh, with these two that are available to the public right now? Right. So, you know, the first dose tends not to cause a whole lot of trouble for most people. The other thing to know is that the younger you are, the more um, excitable your immune system is and the more, um, the the stronger the, the reaction to the vaccine. So younger people are a little more likely to have uh, maybe a little more soreness or, um, or you know that low-grade fever, body aches, feeling tired for a day or two than older people whose immune systems don't ramp up quite so quickly as as younger's uh, younger individuals do. Um, so the first vaccine, most people are going to do just fine. Maybe five to ten percent might have um, some body aches or low-grade fever, or you know just feel yucky for a day or two. Um, so not huge numbers. When we get to the second dose, and these two vaccines that are out right now do require two doses to get you protected. The second dose, now the body has already seen this protein once, and we're going to give it to it again. And so the the second time, it reacts a little more quickly and a little more significantly. And so you might have on the order of maybe 50 or 60% of people who say that, okay, yeah, I didn't feel super good for a day or two. I had some body aches or, you mm-hmm. know, was just kind of wiped out. Um, so you you may have that. And so um, you, when you go to get the first dose, you probably don't have to worry too much about your work schedule or what you have going on. When you go to get the second dose, you might want to try to get that on, you know, maybe a day before you don't have to go to work the next day, um, just to make sure that if you feel a little off for a day or so, so that um, that you're not going to have your schedule disrupted too much. 
You did mention a little earlier in our podcast, just in regards to the amount of vaccines that you foresee in the future. Uh, We do know Johnson & Johnson has been working on a one-dose COVID-19 vaccine. What have you heard about that? And if you uh, have you heard any more about additional vaccinations coming down the pipeline? And hopefully that'll mean getting it to our communities a little bit quicker. That's that's exactly right. And that's what we're hoping for, because the the doses that we have available right now are pretty limited with just these two manufacturers. And if something were to happen to one of them, um, you know, that's going to cut our our ability to vaccinate people in half. So um, we look forward to having more manufacturers online. Operation Warp Speed is the federal program that funded the the ability to manufacture these vaccines quickly. And so just one quick point about that. When people hear Operation Warp Speed, it makes them think that these vaccines were rushed into development. And and I want to be very clear about that, that these vaccines went through the exact same clinical trials and safety studies as every other vaccine that we use for decades. And so um, there was nothing that was rushed about the clinical trials or the safety data or any of that. What got what got moved up and moved ahead in speed was the actual manufacturing of these vaccines because typically the pharmaceutical companies have to raise the money and build the factories and um, and put in all the, the capital that's needed to manufacture new vaccines. And they don't want to do it until the vaccines have full approval from the FDA because they don't want to run the risk that they're going to do this massive investment and then have a vaccine that doesn't work and never gets produced. So what Operation Warp Speed did did was provide these companies with the money so that they could go ahead and start manufacturing the vaccines while they were still studying them, understanding that there was a chance that some or all of these vaccines um, might never make it through clinical trials, and in which case the federal government has spent billions of dollars manufacturing vaccines that will just end up being destroyed. And so that's how we're getting these vaccines out so quickly, because instead of doing clinical trials, and then building factories and manufacturing millions and millions of doses to get them out, we were doing clinical trials and building factories and manufacturing millions and billions of doses at the same time. So I just want to be clear about that so that there, there's no rushed um, science about this. Um, but what they did was fund eight different companies. And so we have two of those vaccines so far. We expect this year we may see four more. Um, and we think the first that we'll see is the Johnson & Johnson Janssen pharmaceutical vaccine that you mentioned, which is a one-dose vaccine, which would be great. Um, and then, and we think we might see approval for that in March. Um, and then we also may see approval possibly in March, the AstraZeneca vaccine, um, which is another two-dose vaccine. And um, every one of these vaccines has advantages and disadvantages. The the two that we have right now are incredibly effective. 95% efficacy is just fantastic for a vaccine. The two that are coming out are probably going to have more typical vaccine efficacy, which is probably going to be around the 75% range or something. And it may turn out that that vaccine um, won't be recommended for certain um, populations. For example, um, maybe in the elderly, those vaccines won't be as effective as the ones that we're using now. 
now. So um, they all have their own challenges with storage issues. And, you know, you've probably heard that's, that one of the vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine, requires Arctic storage temperatures. Um, so that makes it kind of difficult to get to rural communities. Um, some are, the Janssen is a one-dose vaccine, some are two-dose vaccines. So there'll be lots of mixing and matching and trying to make sure that um, everybody gets the, the best vaccine um, for them. Um, and, and hopefully adding these other two companies is going to allow us to get those out a whole lot faster. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Dr. Fiscus. There is a bit of a concern, however, when we talk about um, the rural areas, as well as the families are that are in underserved communities, there is a concern that they may be left out. Do you share those same concerns and what is being done to help prevent that? There are several things that we're doing um, to make sure that we get vaccinations done in rural communities. Um, one of the the strategies that we have, and and it's actually one that has received some um, national attention, is is really looking at equitable distribution of vaccine. And what I mean by that is making sure that. Um, areas of the state that are under-resourced or disadvantaged are, are given equal, if not, um, if not extra access to vaccine. And so one of the things that we do is, um, you know, we've identified um, the, the lower 35 counties in the state that are more vulnerable um, and less resilient, less likely to be able to rebound from adversity, like, um, like, getting um, a big COVID-19 outbreak. And so those communities get a little extra vaccine sent to them to make sure that we can vaccinate their um, their first responders, their healthcare personnel, their older people a little bit faster than um, maybe a community that is more well-resourced that is able to deal with the pandemic a little bit better. So that's, that's one way is um, making sure that we get extra vaccine out into these communities. Um, the other is to to actually have allocations by county. So it's not that the counties that can vaccinate faster or um, move people through faster get more vaccine. It's that every county has an allocation and we want those doses to stay in that county and get used in that county to make sure that they're benefiting those populations. And then the the third thing is really around education and outreach because in our more rural communities, we're more likely to see um, folks that are more hesitant about getting vaccinated. And we want to make sure that they understand the science that I've shared with you um, and, and make sure that they understand that um, that this is really something that we all need to do in order to protect our communities and our families and ourselves is to get vaccinated and, and put an end to this pandemic. And that just takes a lot of outreach and working with a lot of our local partners and, and agencies to um, reach communities that, that either um, may have difficulty getting to where the vaccine is or um, you know, may, may just not know enough to, to be able to feel like they're making uh, an informed decision and we want to help them with that. But what about those, those, as I mentioned earlier, underserved communities that might be in an actual metropolitan area, but maybe an underserved community within that 
metropolitan area? There is. So this is when we get into to what they call micro planning. So we can actually look at the zip code level and say, okay, in this county that is, you know, relatively well off, does not have um, an indication of high social vulnerability, there may be a zip code where there is more poverty or where the death rate is higher from COVID-19 or where there's more chronic disease or where the, where the population is more elderly or at risk. And we can work to make sure that we have access to vaccines in those particular areas. So um, on, a, on a bigger scale, for example, I'll give the example of Haywood County. Um, Haywood County is in Western Tennessee. It's, um, it's rural-ish, um, but it's not very far from Memphis and Shelby County. Um, but Haywood County, their African-American population is about 50% of the county population there. And their death rate from COVID-19 is about one and a half times that of the state average. Mm -hmm. And so that's a county where we want to make sure that we're getting extra vaccine, more education, um, put, you know, really trying to push them to get vaccinated because we know that if we can protect those individuals, we're going to decrease deaths in that community. Um, and so that's the kind of really detailed planning that we do on a, on a daily basis is looking at all of this um, you kind of micro level data to try to determine, okay, maybe we need to make sure that we've got a federally qualified healthcare clinic in this zip code that has vaccine available to them. Or maybe as we're starting to look at putting vaccines in Walmart, we need to make sure that one of the first Walmarts that we do is in Haywood County so that we can make sure that um, the residents of Haywood County have greater access to that vaccine. So um, a lot of thought and planning goes into this. And, uh, and you know, so far, it seems to be working. We're getting um, you know, individuals um, in counties that have higher vulnerability to move through their phases a little more quickly. And so, um, and we're also seeing them have a little higher um, rates of vaccination in those counties. So um, we think the strategy that we have um, is working. It's, it's a very innovative strategy. And as I said, you know, we've, we've drawn attention from MIT and Harvard and, and others that are looking at Tennessee as kind of a thought leader in how we're uh, working to make sure that we're equitably allocating and distributing vaccine here. We have had vaccine in the state for four weeks at this point. Right. So, right. Um, you know, we've, we've, we're coming up on, you know, probably within the next week or so, we'll have a half a million people vaccinated. Uh, and that's amazing. And, and where I will really celebrate is where we have more people fully vaccinated than we've had cases. Um, and that'll, that'll be an exciting day. Thank you so much, Dr. Fiscus, for being a guest on Roots and Wings. We really appreciate you sharing such scientific and intelligent insight on how things are actually going on both behind the scenes, but also how the vaccination works inside your body. Is there anything that I did not ask that you want to make sure our listeners are aware of? Well, there, there's a couple of things I'd like to share. First of all, it is still flu season. And while we've seen a tremendous decrease in flu because people are wearing masks and they're staying socially distanced and they're not gathering, um, it's still really important to get a flu vaccine. And we want to make sure that people also aren't getting sick and dying from that. So um, every grocery store and um, health department has flu vaccine. If they have a pharmacy, you can get it at no charge at uh, any of the local health departments. So if 
you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, it's not too late. Flu season goes until you know, really into early May sometimes. Um, so I would really encourage you to do that. And then um, secondly, until you can get a vaccine, it's still really important that we're doing all of the public health measures that we've been talking about for months and months and months. Wearing a mask when you are within six feet of someone who doesn't live in your house. Um, staying distanced as much as you can. Not gathering. Um, we have seen so many people who've let their guard down. Everybody has pandemic fatigue at this point. Uh, and we all want to get back to um, being social and gathering. And um, it's just not safe to do that yet. So um, don't contribute to the problem. Stay, um, you know, stay vigilant about doing all of those things um, and, and make sure that you're not getting sick yourself and certainly not spreading this virus to other people. And when your turn comes up to get a vaccine, please say yes uh, and go get, get it done um, so that you can help get all of us protected. Thank you so much, Dr. Fiscus, for being a guest on Roots and Wings. And thank you to our listeners for enjoying our first podcast of 2021. I'm Jonquil Newland. 